Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode of Hey Amarillo is supported by Lazy Boy Home Furnishings here in Amarillo. You know Lazy Boy is a national brand, but its Amarillo store is independently owned and operated by the Hawkins family who live right here in town. Almost everything they sell is American-made, and they offer a lot more than just recliners. Amarillo's locally-owned Lazy Boy Home Furnishings has a ton of products in stock ready to take home or deliver today, with special financing right now up to 48 months. Go visit the Lazy Boy of Amarillo showroom today at 3636 Sansi. Today's guest is Jeff Williams. Jeff is a chiropractor and the founder of Creekstone Integrated Medical. He's one of only 19 chiropractic orthopedists here in Texas. And we discuss that element of his career. But beyond that, one of the first things you'll notice about him is that he has a really, really great voice. He's a bit of a renaissance man. And over the past couple of years, he's built up a strong portfolio of voiceover work. It was something he tried during COVID, and he found success really quickly. Over the past year, he's recorded more than 1,300 commercial spots. He's also a sculptor, a painter, an entrepreneur. There's a lot for us to talk about. So here's Jeff Williams. Jeff Williams, welcome to the Hey Marilla podcast. Thanks for being here. Happy to be here. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, absolutely. I am uh, eager to talk to you. I know that, like you said off mic, you're an onion. There's a lot of layers, and I want to dig through all those different layers. But (laughs) let's start the way that I start with all my other guests, and I just want to ask you how you ended up here in this area. Well, I'm originally from Perryton, so okay. b- born in, well, I was actually born in Amarillo, um, raised in Perryton and graduated high school there, athletics, all that good stuff, and and then off to college. Well, and l- let me back up. So while I was raised in Perryton, my dad lived in Amarillo. He was the principal oh, okay. at Paladuro for many years, or assistant principal. And then uh, before that, he was a teacher there. And, and so he lived in Amarillo. I spent every two weeks, uh, every second weekend in Amarillo. Uh, so and then on top of that, my entire family on both sides basically lived here. Aunts, uncles, cousins, everybody. So uh, spent a lot of time in Amarillo growing up. And then, you know, off to college and, and all of that good stuff. And then once college was in the in the background and it was time to start growing up, um, you know, my whole family lived here. My, mm-hmm. my wife, we grew up together in Perryton, so uh, her family was still in this area, so it just made sense. Was there ever a thought of staying in Perryton or returning to Perryton, or was it always like, let's go to the bigger city in the area? You know, I think there's always a little bit of something in the back of people's brains, you know, if they enjoyed their, their childhood, which I absolutely did, and I loved Perryton. Uh, there's always something in the background that says, well, you know, maybe that'd be cool. Give me a head start in your career because everybody knows you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing, you know, (laughs) but I decided uh, small towns. I love small towns, but I also learned that they're kind of bored in small towns. There's nothing to do. So they need stuff to talk about. And I don't mean this in a bad way, but if there's nothing to talk about, they, they sometimes they make it up. You know, and, and uh, I also went to school in Dallas. So uh, Dallas was way too busy for me. It was fun in the beginning. It was exciting and there's that buzz. But then after you do all the cool stuff and then you do it for the second time and then you only do it when your friends come to town and then 
pretty soon you just you wind up sitting on a highway behind other cars yeah. for a lot of your life. And and I don't think life's meant to be that way. Uh, but a small town wasn't really for me either anymore. And, and uh, so Amarillo. It's kind of the perfect balance between perfect. those Perfect. Yes, absolutely. Did, when you went away for college, um, and I, I know your career has gone in a lot of different directions, but did did you know what you wanted to do like when you left here? I mean, did you have a plan? Yeah, absolutely. So from the time I was a freshman in high school there in Perryton, I, uh, when I got hurt skiing, I landed on top of my head. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I I hurt for months, three, four, five months. I don't, I don't remember exactly, but it was an extended amount of time. And we went to the MDs and the DOs and and just pain pills, muscle relaxers, really nothing helped. And finally, I was big in athletics. And my mom was like, you know, I went to the chiropractor one time. You ought to give it a try. I was like, I don't know what the heck that is. Uh, but if it can help me get out of this and get back to sports, then count me in. So I went... And I had suffered for months, and literally in two weeks, our chiropractor there, he um, he had me out of pain like you'd have never known I was ever hurt. I still don't have neck issues. So um, that was pretty powerful. Plus, I'm not a blood and guts guy. Yeah. Uh, so I, I can never see myself being responsible for setting a little kid's arm, broken arm or something like you know, I'm just not built like that. Uh, so I think it's important to know your weaknesses, and that was definitely one of mine. Uh, so I thought, you know, this is a good way to help people without, uh, you know, getting into that sort of a deal. And, and so uh, I knew from an early age, I was either going to be a dentist or I was going to be a chiropractor. Okay. And there's still a little bit of blood and guts with there dentistry. There is, there is. A little is. bit of blood at least. And then what did it for me one day was somebody said, you realize if you're going to be a dentist, you have to work in this tiny little space every day, all day, the rest of your life. And I thought, well, that's kind of, I don't like thinking about it like that. And mm-hmm. uh, and so I, I uh, really turned my attention to being a chiropractor. When you went to Dallas, was it to go to a, a chiropractor school? Like that? Did yeah. you go through an undergraduate program or was it like directly into the... A little bit of both. Uh, college had a lot of layers too. <laughs> so I started at WT on the football team. Uh, after my first semester, they dropped the football program. This was in 1990. Okay. And you talk about break a little dude's heart. Yeah. Because I had a full ride. I was starting on the on the team as a true freshman. I was dating the aerobics instructor and and, and she was old enough that she could go to the beer store for us, you know. Wow. And, and I was rooming with my best friend since we were five years old. He was on the football team as well. So I mean, the, the setup could not have been more perfect. And then after one semester, they dropped the program wow. and really uh, kind of blew my whole entire world up. So then I went and played at uh, Northwest Louisiana. Uh, didn't get to do a lot down there because I got mono when I moved down there, and then I got in a car wreck down there. So football was just kind of it, – it didn't happen for me. So at that point, after a few years in Louisiana, I transferred to University of North Texas where my uh, girlfriend, future wife, was, and then uh, and then chiropractic school from okay. there, that which was down in Dallas. And so when you came back to Amarillo – did you know that you wanted to start like your own practice? I mean, what were your, what did your options look like at that point? Well, they teach you to be a chiropractor, but they don't teach you to be a business owner or that's the case with a lot of professions. uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, no business classes, no business sense. My parents were, uh, teachers, a secretary and, and my stepdad was, he worked at a bank, but he was a loan officer, you know, no real business sense for me. And so it made sense to work for somebody first. 
And uh, that was over in Hereford. So I worked in Hereford for about five years for somebody else. And then um, about another five or six years over in Hereford for myself. And then made the transition over to Amarillo. Okay. Did Creekstone start as far back as that? Or was it sort of an evolution until you got to where you are now? Super evolution. So I am not risk adverse, but I like... Uh, baby risks, okay. if you will. So, so I I will. And my wife, she, you know, I'm the big idea guy, and I want to go and do and run. And she's got the range, you know. And she pulls them back. She's like, think about it. Let's let's do this. So we make a a good team on in that sense. So um, it started as Amarillo pain and accident. We we're doing a lot of car wrecks and personal injury, which we still do. But that was, it was a bigger part of it back then. And then um, as we we continued to grow. The space next to us became available, which was the old Salad Master. So okay. we're we're on I twenty seven on Forty Fifth Street right. behind that funky looking donut, donut stop. stop. Yeah, we're right behind that. And so the old Salad Master used to be over there, and that space became available. And they just made us a deal we could not refuse. So we went from fifteen hundred square foot to about four thousand square oh, foot. Wow. Yeah. And that whole process of construction and seeing patients while that's going on, it was a nightmare, but well worth it and uh, very updated, very contemporary and and a super nice space. So um, when we expanded over there and I got all that extra space, we decided to call it Creekstone Integrated Care uh, because it was no longer just me. It was me and exercise rehab, like Mm -hmm. physical therapy type uh, exercise. And then, uh, we added an acupuncturist and we added three or four massage therapists. And, and so it was really an integrated setup where lots of providers all had the same goal of, mm-hmm. of healing people, getting them to feel better. And then we rebranded yet again, um, about a year ago, last August, when I integrated the clinic medically. So we got a medical director. He's a, a physician, Dr. Mike Flores. He's, um, uh, with the BSA system. And then we uh, hired a nurse practitioner, Jason Hathaway, and started providing medical services. So we rebranded again to Creekstone Integrated Medical. Okay. Did the expansion sort of drive, like did the space that you had available kind of drive you to offer more services or did you see the value of that space because you wanted to offer more services? What was the chicken and egg of that situation? I wanted more space so that we could offer more services. Okay. It wasn't like, oh, now I've got a lot of space. What are no. we going to do with it? No, no. It was very, very intentional. So I think um, there's lots of different chiropractors. That's one thing about my profession. It's not very standardized. Yeah. So well, There's some that's just one person and they're doing you know, their treatment and that's it. And and some look at chiropractic as, you know, I'm going to pop these bones and I'm going to fix basically everything that ever went wrong with you or could yeah. be wrong with you. Uh, where I am, I'm in the I'm very research evidence based. I'm a bit of a research nerd overall. And so if research backs it, I do it. And the American College of Physicians says for back pain of any duration, look at spinal manipulative therapy. Well, that's what chiropractors do. Um, look at exercise, physical therapy, rehabilitation, which we do, acupuncture, massage, uh, low-level laser, you know, all of these things recommended by the American College of Physicians, we do. And things like, I'm going to pop your bones and fix your ear infections, I I don't really do. Right. Which kind of uh, puts you on a, a little bit different path from some of the stereotypes, I guess, that or 100%. the negative stereotypes people might have. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've, I've tried to work really hard to differentiate myself. Um, I've got colleagues that I absolutely love and work very well with. I've got some that we just don't see eye to eye and, and that's okay. I think that's every profession, but I've tried to go the extra steps to, so for example, 2% of chiropractors get a fellowship training and I've, I've gotten two of them now. I've got one in orthopedics and one in forensics. I'm not solving crimes with forensics. <laughs> we, uh, it is kind of our technical word for um, medical legal expert witness okay. type work. Tell me about the, the other elements of your career. Because, you know, running, you know, your, your clinic there's so many different pieces to that that it, it feels like, well, that's that's a full-time career. It is. But that is by <laughs> far, you know, not the only thing that you do. So tell me like why, before we get into the details, like tell me why you've kind of developed all these these different pathways. I, you know, sometimes I ask myself that because I know I make myself crazy. I know I make my wife and my kids crazy because I, I mean, I hate the word overachiever. I mean, um, I'm... I don't really like that word, but I'm a learner. I, I like I'm a I like to say hopefully I'm a learn it all, not a know it all. Hmm. You know, and so I just and I'm not afraid to look stupid. I'm not because <laughs> you know sometimes you do when when things don't work out. But I'm not a, necessarily afraid to fail. You okay. know, and and when I get into something, man, I am like maybe I'm obsessive about it, but I'm diving in. We're not we're not just going to like scratch the surface and say, oh, do I like that? We are jumping in with books and podcasts and uh, YouTubes and live classes, um, everything. So. So I I want to give you know listeners sort of an idea of, of what we're tiptoeing around. I, I'm not going to get everything, but you, you host a podcast that's focused on uh, chiropractic. Yeah. And research. It's called research. Chiropractic Forward. OK. You're an artist. I am. Sculptor, uh, you do voiceover work, which is a relatively new thing, but one that I imagine you're you're seeing a lot of a lot more work maybe than you expected with that. M much more than I expected. Um, yeah. What what am I missing? What are what are some other things you're doing? Ah, uh, build furniture. Okay. Um, I, uh, I this sounds like a brag session, and I apologize. No, I mean uh, just I mean, give uh, me give me a list of. I mean that's that's why people are interesting. Well, I I won state in the discus when I was in Perryton, so okay. I uh, uh, am still throwing the discus. Are you really? With, and and coaching my daughter in discus and and Is hopefully, there are there opportunities to throw the discus in any sort of competitive level? Believe as it or a dad? not, they have master events. So that was the whole thing. I I haven't thrown in thirty years, and I started teaching my daughter and. I thought, man, I forgot how much fun this is. And I started, they have master's meets all over the country. And I thought, wouldn't that be cool to start to kind of train it up again and go to some of these, meet some people, have a good reason to travel. And so I've been doing that. Um, I haven't competed yet. We're just trying to get back up to speed, but having a lot of fun. Um, that seems like one of those things I, I never, I didn't have the frame to throw discus, but it, it, it's so technical and such a violent sort of movement to yeah. launch it that as a chiropractor, like I want to, I want to know what you think about, you know, when you're, um, when you're thinking about your technique and and how that works. You know, I don't. As a chiropractor, I have to just not think about it because <laughs> because one of the recommendations for proper lifting is keep your back straight, 
keep your nose with your toes. Don't add load and a twist yeah. because then you're just asking for it. So I just have to kind of just trust the trust the technique and the process the and, and take take the chiropractor out of it and uh and you know it's i'm telling you it is just so much fun to let that sucker go and just sit there and watch it and go man that's a pretty good one seems like <laughs> one of those things that a 16 year old could try and it would be no problem and then you try it at 36 or 46 and you're just asking for trouble so i will say this uh it has been a process relearning and, and getting into it again because when I began the first time or two, I thought I was going to pass out. Hmm. Like I was like, oh, man, I got dizzy and kind of fuzzy headed. And I just stuck with it, you know, and, and uh, now it doesn't bother me a bit. But, yeah, it took me a minute. Was the artistic side of you something that you've had all of your life? I mean, is it yeah. something that uh, maybe you're, you're kind of returning to a passion of childhood? I I wouldn't say returning to it. I, it's always been there. Okay. So a lot of me, I I blame on my parents. You know, um, the artistic side for sure. I blame on my on my dad. He was is um, he had a couple of strokes, so he's in long term care now. But uh, he is a um, a painter, a, a sketch guy, always doodling, and uh, he's a guitar player. He's uh, a singer and mm-hmm. and played in bands his whole life, my whole life. I I grew up going to see him, you know, here in Amarillo playing around. Uh, he's a sculptor. I'm a sculptor. Uh, it, so yeah, I blame I blame all that stuff on him. But I, I've been I've been doing painting is a more recent thing for me because color always intimidated me. Uh, but drawing, sketching, charcoal portraits. Um, Guitar, songwriting, singing, traveling. I was the singer for a band called Copperhead here yeah. in town for years. That was the one thing I left off my list. I knew there's something else. Yeah, the musician side, and that was uh, that was a big deal. Uh, we did that seven or eight years. Got to play Green Hall and out in Scottsdale, Arizona. Lots of really cool memories on that deal. And that transitioned into having a records promotions company. So um, we started promoting. Singles for all the Texas artists, uh, Mike McClure, The Great Divide, Band of Heathens, Drew Womack, um, uh, Turnpike Troubadours. Mm-hmm. I mean, most people know that name now. Yeah. I was their very first radio promoter. So, And then uh, I, I had an online radio station back then. And, and uh, yeah, we, I've, I've booked bands in at Hoots and, and uh, just done a lot with the music industry. Is that diversity of careers and and things that you get into, is it fall into sort of, like, there's a hustle culture sort of mindset where people are like, I got to find a thing to make more income, to, um, you know, to set myself up or offer me some protection. And then for other people, it's just a pure creative outlet. You just can't not do some of those things. Like where, where do you think you fit into that? Is it the artistry or the economic side? I... Mostly artistry. I think I've always felt like, oh man, this sounds kind of dumb, but I always wanted, I think I've always wanted to be exceptional in some aspect. Maybe I, I like doing things that others find difficult and, and teaching myself how to, and maybe that's not comparing myself to others. Maybe it's more competitive against myself. You know, I, I, I don't know, but I've always liked a challenge. I've always liked learning. Like we said, I've liked creating things from nothing. I think that's 
neat. I yeah. think it's interesting and fun and cool. And and some of them work, some of them don't, and that's okay. Um, but I always felt like, you know, if I if I do enough of that and I'm enjoying myself, usually the money kind of takes care of itself. Um, so I'm not really, I, I'm fortunate enough that my my real job, in quotes, air quotes there, uh, my real job prevents me from having to depend on side gigs. Okay. Uh, but, you know, if something if something happened to hit, then, hey, that's a bonus. Let's talk about the voiceover work. Tell me how that that's started. That's the bonus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the pandemic comes along, and, and just picture yourself owning a, a healthcare clinic. Yeah, high-touch business. Right? Absolutely. Nobody wants to come in. You know, they, uh, so we found ourselves going from being just super busy to uh, closed, you know, closed for two weeks, and then for several weeks beyond that, we were only supposed to see emergency patients, like um, low back people that would normally be in the emergency room. Hmm. Well, nobody wanted to go to the ER back then either, right? Uh, but that's still a pretty small percentage of our patients. So I got to looking around going, man, what can you do where, because uh, I didn't want to fire anybody. I didn't want anybody to have to, I mean, I, I really care about my employees. They're basically my family. I spend more time with them than I do my own family. And so really kind of got to kicking it around. What am I going to do to uh, make sure everybody's cool? And um, so I have a buddy that uh, he is, there's a video game called Five Nights at Freddy's. And the kids absolutely eat this game up. They It is huge. And he's the narrator. Uh, the, his character's name is Hand Unit. And he is Hand Unit for the entire, I think he's done five other games now. Okay. And he was my very first drummer in my very first band back in Louisiana in college. And he wound up being, he was in ROTC back then. He wound up being a lieutenant colonel in the reserves for the Army. And I thought, oh, and he's posting about this Five Nights at Freddy's and these other, when he does a demo or whatever, he, he posts it. I'm like, man, that's kind of weird, but it's kind of cool. And with me having been a musician, I've got a couple of albums out, you know, and recording up. I thought, yeah, I think I could do that, maybe. Um, and so I just started picking his brain a little bit. and I, But I never really thought I had a voice that would be competitive in any, you know, large market or any kind of wide level appeal at all. I tell people, you know, I'm 6'4", like 280. And when I look in the mirror, I just see me, yeah. right? I mean, it's just, I'm not a big guy. I'm just me. And But when I see myself in a picture next to somebody who I consider a pretty big person, and I'm like quite a bit bigger than them, I'm like, man, I'm really bigger than I thought I was, you know? And But the same thing with my voice. I It's just my voice. It's, it's been mine for my whole life and nothing... Special, exceptional, nothing. And so I just, I thought, well, I don't know. We'll give it a try, whatever. And it really, it is really, really taken off to to my surprise. And it's been a blessing and uh, something I just thank God for. Where are some places that people may have heard you? At least well, locally. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't normally hear it, but I've done spots in probably 30, I think it was 35% of the world's countries so far. Okay. So some of them I've never heard myself beyond when I recorded it and submitted right. it, you know? So, uh, 
that's that's kind of tough to answer. But I did a, a local spot on the radio for Andrea's project. I don't know if you've talked to David Elizalde. But, um, uh, my wife is on their board, and they did a, a a deal out at Starlight Ranch. It was like a trunk or treat special type deal, and I did the commercial spot for that um, for free because you know I'm I'm buddies with David, and and my wife's on the board. She's like, "Can you do this?" And oh, you have to say yes. Yeah. So no, and I, and I was happy to. But it is funny. I, I've got some high school friends that every now and then they'll they'll uh, hit me up on Facebook and go, is this you? And it is, it is me. Like one of them lives in Florida and she goes, I just heard your voice. I swear. And it was a real estate uh, spot and she linked it to me. I said, yeah, that that was me. And then I've got a buddy down in Austin that sent me a a construction commercial for, I don't know, it was like big heavy equipment or something like that. And sure enough, that was me. Because usually I'm like, no, nah, that's not me. But yeah, they, sometimes they get it. Tell me, for, for listeners who don't know that world, um, tell me how it works. You know, for you to be in COVID in 2020 and thinking, maybe this is something that I'll try. And then, you know, you're you're in 35% of the, the world's markets, you know, doing yeah. that kind of work. And you're still here. You're not traveling, I assume, to all these places to do stuff. You're just no. recording, you know, in your own studio. So give people an idea of what that world is like. Ooh. How does it work? <laughs> well, it's different. I mean, first of all, you, you've got to get the equipment all put together. It's all about the space. I've got sound deadening blankets. And, and most people actually start in a closet. Yeah, with a blanket over their heads. Blanket over their heads. The clothes around buffer the noise. And it's a smaller space, so it's not boomy and echoey. And it works really well. Uh, I was lucky enough, I have a basement. And in that basement, I kind of have like a, it's not a walk-in closet, but it's kind of like a closet and a half. And so I took out some shelves and and got some sound deadening blankets with grommets and hung them around. And I put these little uh, foam squares on the ceiling and there was already car- carpet on the basement. And I started out with uh, an Audio-Technica microphone, which only costs about 200 and and it worked perfectly for what I needed. I already had a computer. Those are the microphones we're using here. That's right. Yeah. And um, it's a little different. It's the same brand, but it's a shotgun mic. Right. Super. Like I'd never seen one before. And when you, and you know, I've I've performed with Copperhead and and on my own and with the Flying Elbows here locally. Uh, but when I plugged in that microphone, I sounded way different than I have ever heard myself. I thought, man. That sounds pretty cool. Uh, it was. I was pretty jazzed about that. But um, so y- you can get started fairly inexpensively. But the in the VO world, the business card is your demo. So you got to spend some money to do a demo, fifteen hundred, two thousand bucks or so, to really have somebody that knows what they're doing. Luckily, I found the right guy, and he recorded a demo for me. And the first spot on there is it's. 10 seconds of a John Deere commercial. And it's like, here's to the early risers. Here's to the doers, the go-getters, you know, kind of like that little feel. And that, that one spot has gotten me so much business. It's, I I couldn't even begin to tell you, I've probably done probably 1700 spots in just the last two years. And that's the kind of stuff that people like, like people hear your voice and it has that warm, working class 
you yeah. know, blue drives collar. a truck, blue mm-hmm. collar. Like that's what they're wanting and that's what they're hearing in your voice. And so it fits really well yeah. with that kind of product. It it does. And I mean, I'll get uh I'll get orders all the time and it says, uh, from your demo, we want the John Deere voice. Yeah. I'm like, all right, man. <laughs> Is it as easy as you send out a demo? You make it available on your website and people find you or like, is this a world where you need an agent or you need somebody to kind of get you in front of certain people? Yes. And yes. And yes. Like it it happens so many different ways. So there's, there's online, like they call them pay to play platforms. So there's voices.com, which is kind of out of favor right now. There's voice one, two, three.com where you pay a yearly fee to be a member and then you kind of put in your metrics and it matches you up with offers. Then you have to audition for them and you only get a small percentage of the ones you audition for. So really voiceover is a lot of auditioning and a little bit of actual recording, you know? Um, And then you, you ship your demos out to talent agents you got managers and talent agents, right? Managers are for really the bigger the bigger folks. I don't have a manager. Okay. But there are about five or six big national agencies. So William Morris, uh, there's one called CESD, Atlas. I can't remember them all off the top of my head. But New York, L.A. agents. And used to you'd have to live in those markets. Now, since COVID, everybody right. built home studios that can do the same thing and it's cheaper for them. So there, it really opened up VO to everybody. So if you're not with one of the big five or six, which I'm not yet, um, then people usually start marketing to the regional talent agents. So I've got like six or seven talent agents. So uh, there's Pastorini Bosby in Houston that I'm with. There's one called Heyman in Cincinnati and they cover Ohio, Indiana and Kentucky with Crown North in San Francisco, um, Talent Unlimited in Kansas City, Lotus in New York City, and there's a lady named uh, Linda Stopfer in New Jersey I'm with. So yeah, I know I'm leaving off one or two, but... How much of your, let's say in a typical week, how many hours are you giving to this side gig? It's Side gig is an interesting name for it because it really has kind of turned into a full-time job on top of my full-time job. So I've had to actually change my hours at work just a little bit. I go to lunch 30 minutes earlier and come back to work 30 minutes later just to create a little bit of opportunity for me to do this so that I'm not working all night long. Okay. So at lunch, I usually record for... Um, hour, maybe two hours, depending on what's going on. And then at night, I'll usually record for another hour, sometimes two hours. So three to four hours a day, I think is probably legitimate. And, you know, for, for people that, you know, don't know that world, you're receiving a script Mm -hmm. and you are reading that script, maybe multiple versions, sending, are you sending a single final to them? Are you sending some versions for them to pick from? Do you do any editing or do you just send them the raw stuff? Usually, yeah, you become a pretty good editor as well. Yeah. Um, And, 
if you don't want to have a lot of rereads and a lot of revisions and all of that, send them several versions. So uh, on one file, I'll usually send them. It depends on the the script length. Like, you know, if it's long, they're getting one version. Yeah. You know, but if it's you know 150 words, something like that, I'll send them three or four different versions, different feels, and usually between those. If you got some pauses at key spots, they can chop them up and they'll get exactly what they want. So, have there been any projects that you've done that you know you the John Deere voice feels pretty natural to you? Are yeah. you doing anything that you're like, why do they want me for this, or that feels odd to you? I uh, yeah, I've <laughs> yeah, I've done um, some animated commercials like where I was, I was supposed to be a chicken and. Uh, you know, goofy dogs and, and some stuff like that, which is, is not really my forte. But, you know, the more you do it, the more you get comfortable with it. You're like, oh, that sounds fun. You know, let's give it a try. Um, I am in an upcoming uh, video game. So it's it's going to be on Xbox and PlayStation, the whole thing. It's by Modus Studios, so M-O-D-U-S. And the game's name is God of Rock. And, and I won this audition as their Elvis character. And they call me the the character is called King or the King, and he's not like Elvis because they don't want to get like sued. Right. But it is the Elvis E esque character, and uh, so that was kind of different, you know. I mean, I've always kind of played with that voice my whole life, but you know, to be on Zoom with this group in San Francisco, and I really expected them to send me a script so I could be prepared for it, but no, like they. I kept asking them for a script and they were like, yeah, we'll get it to you. And sure enough, we, we sign on to zoom and they're like, Hey, we're shooting the script over to you. I'm like, awesome. Yeah. So like I had zero prep and they were like, okay, say, uh, aficionado like Elvis. I'm like, how would you even do that? I don't know. I mean, so anyways, but yeah, that was that one. I was a little out of my comfort zone on. I want to ask, you know, since you've, You've talked about all the different, um, you know, tentacles of of your career and your work and your passions, uh, and about Amarillo being, you know, kind of the perfect balance between big city and, and small town. Like, is this a place where you found it easy to try a lot of things, to experiment, to, you know, go in a different direction? Is is there something about living here that maybe gives you the freedom to do that? I would say. If anything, it, you got to be really committed to do it from Amarillo, not because lack of support or what. I've always had super supportive friends and and um, people in this area. They're always like, you know, that's cool. You know, I can't wait till the next one. You know, that type of stuff. It, people here are amazing, but um, just I think location wise, we're we're a good sized city. And things are more connected through the internet than they ever have been. But it is still, there is a certain value behind being able to be in the same room with somebody like we are right now, being able to look somebody in the face and talk to them and get to know them and network and connect and maybe have a beer together or coffee or whatever. Uh, there's a lot of value in that. And when big players either in the music scene, like when I was uh, traveling with music or voiceover or whatever it made the art world, you know, big players in those industries are in 
anywhere but Amarillo. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. It's, it it's helps not to like, be in Nashville or right. someplace like that. Nashville, Dallas, L.A., New York, Atlanta is huge for voiceover and acting and those things. So, um, so I think if anything, maybe it's it's a bit of a, more of a challenge for sure. I think maybe one thing that that kind of spurred that question is when I found out about your career. I was like, oh, here's a guy who's, you know, running this chiropractic clinic. He's also a very successful voiceover actor. And I just thought, that sounds like kind of a classic Amarillo thing. You're good at one thing, <laughs> you know, you're doing this and that's fine. But, oh, you also got this weird other direction yeah. that you're going in. Yeah. And that to me, that feels sort of like, that makes sense. You know, yeah. I, I've heard Why a lot not? of stories like that. There you go. That there, there's something about, um, it's a great place to run a business. It's a great place to be successful that way. But if you've got some weird artistic creative side, then you can embrace that just as fully. And nobody really bats an eye of, yeah. at it. No, like I said, I've, I've had plenty of support. I'm, I, being here roughly 25 years, I don't know. I know a lot of people and, and it's, uh, it's, they're always like, what's Jeff going to do next? You know? <laughs> so like they're, they're like, we're just going to plug you in and watch you run, you know, and see what happens. For the last few weeks of the year, Hey Amarillo is highlighting a local nonprofit thanks to the sponsorship of SKP Creative. And this week's nonprofit is the League of Women Voters. This nonpartisan grassroots organization works to promote informed and active participation in government. You've probably seen representatives of the Amarillo chapter hosting voter registration drives. They show up at a lot of local events. They work hard to educate the community, especially about the political process including giving out voter education materials and hosting candidate forums. The goal of the League of Women Voters is to help you make informed decisions at the ballot. And in fact, I mean, just to get you to the ballot in the first place, voter turnout is so important, especially here in Amarillo. And that's a priority for this organization. You can learn more at lvw.org. And if you're not registered to vote, now's the time to do it. Thanks to SKP Creative for calling attention to the League of Women Voters. This episode is also supported by Leslie Massey, a farmer's insurance agent here in Amarillo. You probably heard Leslie interviewed on this podcast back in September of this year. She's known for her personal customer service, going the extra mile to walk customers through the claims process, which can be complicated. Her agency also gets recognized for community involvement. Leslie works really hard to build relationships with her clients, with their families, their businesses, and a lot more. And I know this because the magazine I co-own, Brick and Elm, is one of her insurance clients. To learn more, contact Farmers Insurance Agent Leslie Massey at 806-352-7388. That's 806-352-7388. Okay, I'm back with Jeff Williams. Jeff, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes a copy of the Brothers Grimm collection of folk tales printed in 1834, which is on loan from the University of Michigan Library as part of the current Objects of Enchantment exhibit. Uh, and that's open through April of next year. You can see that actual book at the museum. Learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, the first question is, when you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for? I hope for growth. 
I hope, but steady. We don't want to outgrow our infrastructure. We don't want to be Austin. We right? don't want to be Austin, no. Uh, growth, and I, I'd like to see concerts come back here instead of Lubbock. I'd like to see Amarillo competing meaningfully with Lubbock. And when you think about these concerts, and I get it, Texas Tech is what keeps them a step ahead of us, and I know that. But we're on I-40, you yeah. know, and – and there is no reason bands have to uh, go an hour and a half south on an interstate that is not an interstate instead of staying right here in Amarillo. So I, I'd like to I'd like to see us competing more effectively against Lubbock. And I think really the only difference is not the demographics. It's not the forty thousand college students. It's the lack of a venue yeah. that the bands can fit their stuff in that meets their needs. Hundred percent, and that's just an infrastructure oh, issue. Man, I'm my, when I was a kid, my first rock concert was Rat and Bon Jovi at the <laughs> Civic Center. You know, I love that stuff. They just can't. They can't play in a, a place like that. Anymore. I know. I know. It drives me crazy. Okay. Other than wind, what does this area have too much of? Uh, chicken restaurants. <laughs> so, okay. You know, uh, and and I would also add to that. Every time there's somebody's building something, I'm like, it's probably another chicken restaurant, but I love chicken. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but another thing is property expense. I have people who wanted to come to Amarillo, but it made more sense to buy property around Dallas than it than it they could afford coming up here. When we we started real estate investing, we uh, we have two houses down in Lubbock, and we've got two here in Amarillo, and. And we could find better deals in Lubbock than we could find here in Amarillo. So uh, I, I think uh, I think our property expenses are a little um, out of whack. What What are those expenses like? Where do you is it Is it the price of the lots value, of building? The value, the value that people want for the property hmm. here is just to me seems inflated. Because that's one thing that has often been a selling point for Amarillo is that the quality of life here the uh, ability to live here is a little bit less expensive than if you're in the Metroplex or someplace like so that. So cost of living, I would agree with you. Way more advantageous here in Amarillo, the daily cost of living. But to buy property okay. is a little, I think, um, out of whack. Okay. What does this area not have enough of? Well, waters, water and trees, of course. We, <laughs> we, we all know that. But um, I don't know. Maybe for me, when I was thinking about that question, I think... Think forward momentum. You know, I am a real, like, I'm driven. I'm ambitious. I'm Whatever I do, I want to be number one. I want, and I don't, just sometimes I don't get that feeling about Amarillo in general. It's kind of like, yeah, we're just, we're having a good life. We're just yeah. hanging out, existing. We like it the way it is, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with Amarillo the way it is. I love Amarillo. I've been here 25 years. I'm one of the biggest defenders of, of Amarillo and promoters of it. I love the place. But, um, you know, I think you can always grow and get better and more interesting and, and more fun things to do. So, Yeah, a, uh, a body that's not changing is is probably in the process of dying you know exactly it's, it's, it's you're, not experiencing growth you're you're moving or you're or you're 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 behind you're you're the hammer or you're the nail yeah there's there's a <laughs> lot to be said for at least a little bit of ambition as opposed to complacency 100 percent. how do you describe amarillo to people outside the area i tell them that like we said earlier our best commodity to me is our people i have so many patients that relocate from out of town mm-hmm. out of state and Overwhelmingly, they communicate to me 
how what quality of people we have, how kind they are, how helpful they are. And I mean, after you hear that over and over and over for 25 years, I think you just have to realize there's something to that. Hmm. Every place has has rotten apples and and bad things, but uh, I think overall we just we just have the the kindest people. What's your favorite street in Amarillo? Hughes. Okay. Yeah. Do you know where Hughes is? I do know where Hughes is. It's over on Wolfland. Uh, I lived on Hughes for, uh, I don't know, maybe eight, nine years before we, uh, now we live over in what they call Westover Estates, over in the Westover yeah. neighborhood. Um, but I lived over in Hughes and we've still got a, a rental house over there in Wolfland. And, and man, we just walk that neighborhood every night, me, my daughter and myself. And, and I just, uh, I love it. Every house is different. They're all old, you know, 19, well, now they're knocking some down and building new ones, but which I hate. But uh, uh, that neighborhood is just amazing. Okay. What's your favorite local restaurant or food truck? Again, I have so many answers. Is so, it a chicken place? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll go down a real short list. Uh, Lazy Gator, because I'm a Cajun guy. I was in okay. Louisiana. Uh, Red River Steakhouse. I love just old cooking and they got nineties country in there. Yep. And that's, I love nineties country, uh, lemongrass, uh, Pascara's uh, big gems. It was Labella's over on Olson. Right. And I'm, I'm buddies with Jim and candy and, and love that place. Uh, golden light. Cause I've played music there a million times and I love those burgers. And then El Patron is probably my, right. my, my Tex-Mex favorite. Okay. That's a good list. There you go. What's your favorite local coffee shop? Roasters. All right. Is there yeah. a particular one you go to? The one on Bell and uh, close to 45th. Okay. A little bit south of that. Yeah. yeah. Used, used to be a, a Marshall's coffee. Was it? Yeah, before uh, Marshall's sold and it became a roaster. That it's, little hut there. It's not uncommon to see my daughter and myself pulling through there at like 9 o'clock at night when nobody should be having caffeine, <laughs> especially on the weekends. Okay. And uh, when was the last time you visited the Big Texan? We actually go every now and then. You, you really? know, I know a lot of locals don't. Uh, and they tell people it's a tourist trap, which, you know, I mean, it, it is a tourist uh, thing. But we go just every now and then and probably once every six months or so. But we we actually went just about a month ago. Well, free prime rib on your birthday, you know, it, it's, well, it's at least good, one good reason. Every <laughs> there every you go. Year. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. OK, well, uh, Jeff, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would want listeners to know about or to experience? If you would give me a little bit of levity, can I endorse two things? I will allow it. All right. I appreciate it. So the first thing is um, my friends and I started a philanthropic group called uh, 100 Men Who Give a Damn. And I'm aware of it. Yeah, we started that. About three years ago, maybe, yeah, about three years ago. So far, we've raised uh, close to fifty thousand dollars, and the whole idea is is that we four times a year, once a quarter, we uh, get, all get together, the whole group. We have three local nonprofits, not the big guys like American Cancer Society. They're already funded; they don't need right. our little checks. We all uh, have three. Okay, so three local nonprofits, small to medium size. They come in and they're picked at random. They come in, give a little 10-minute presentation each. And then the group, we all have $100 checks or cash, whatever. They're blank. They're not written out yet. We all vote on who needs the money the very most. 
And whoever we vote on, 80% of those checks get those $100 checks get made out to that organization. The other two get 10% each. And so nobody goes home empty handed. And if we have 100 people show up at these events, we get to give away $10,000 that night. So far, we've only been able to get about 30 together. So we really need help on 100 men who give a damn. Uh, Our next event is at Cask and Cork, 6.30 p.m., January 23rd. Okay. Um, and we'll have three nonprofits. We don't know who they are yet. But you said we they're chosen at random. Like, do nonprofits apply to be part of that? Or they do. do. They okay. they all get get on our list, and we meet up about a month before. There's about five or six of us that kind of just do that little committee. We meet up at a bar, or restaurant, whatever, and we've got the list there. And we have our server pick three peop- three numbers randomly because they're all numbered. And then two alternates, just in case. Yeah. And that's how they're picked totally at random. Because we never wanted somebody who runs the thing to push their pet projects. Sure. So, yeah, it's a really cool deal. There's no membership. Nobody's going to ask you to be the vice president or president. All you got to do is four times a year come out to an event with 100 bucks and help your town. And if nothing else, you're learning about three good nonprofits. You know? Absolutely. And you're networking and meeting other people in the community that are uh, like-minded in regards to wanting to give back. All right. So it's all good. So my second thing is Thomas E. Creek. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how familiar you are with it. I call him Tommy Creek, but he is our area's. Now, there'll be some people that will argue with me because there was a Medal of Honor recipient from Clyde. Uh, but he is Amarello's uh, only Medal of Honor recipient, and he's Texas's youngest recipient ever. And went to Paladura High School and all of that. The VA is named after him, um, which is awesome. And his brother, Ross, still lives here in town, and he was a Marine as well. Um, I told you I'm friends with Jim and Candy uh, DeWitts that own LaBella's right. on Olsen's about to be big gyms. Well, Candy is Thomas Creek's niece, so her her maiden name is Creek. Anywho, um, I feel like Amarillo does not honor Thomas Creek uh, sufficiently. I think that's probably true. People know the name. They may not know his story or why I, the VA is named after him. I would argue that most people don't know his name. Really? Uh, because I have had this conversation so many times, and they just had no idea. People didn't. He's still buried. I mean, he's buried here at Lano Cemetery. So what if we had a park named after him? What if we had a street named after him? What if a stretch of I-40 was Thomas E. Creek Memorial um, Highway? Or what if we had a statue of him somewhere? I mean, he gave his life. So, yeah, tell, tell the story for listeners who don't know that. This was in Camlo, Vietnam. He was 18, I believe, and just not very far into his 18th year. And they were going to resupply a base at Camlo, Vietnam, and uh, they got ambushed. So uh, they're fighting, fighting. Um, Thomas jumped up on top of this armored vehicle on a machine gun and was fighting. And I think he was shot there. Probably in the shoulder area, I believe. And it he got down off or was knocked off into this ditch where four or five of his fellow Marines were. And about that time, a grenade came into the ditch. And he said, I got it, Mac. And he rolled over on top of it and took the brunt of the, of the blast and saved all of his fellow Marines. So uh, he was 
obviously posthumously awarded this um, Medal of Honor. And uh, I just, I think that Amarillo could do better. And I think that kids ought to know who he is. I think they ought yeah. to go through school knowing who he is and that he came from Amarillo and how important what he did was. And, and um, I hate to say this, and I could be totally wrong. And you correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not always right, and I know that. And I'm not always PC, and this is not very PC. I feel like if he had gone to Randall or Amarillo High or Tascosa, I figure Amarillo would have done a better job of honoring him. But he went to Paladuro. Yeah. And he was a poor, from a poor family. They had nothing. And, um, and that kind of, I, I could be totally wrong. You know, I don't know that. But that's kind of what I think. And I really, really want to change that. I think that's legitimate. I, I think the city has realized with, with some of the neighborhood plans, some of the, the emphasis that's now being given to places like the Barrio and the North Heights neighborhood, that, that there are parts of town that have just not gotten attention. And maybe it's not attention to the people who live there. Maybe it's not attention from City Hall or all those different things. And I, I think that that's probably correct, that in, in other communities in uh in Amarillo 20 years from now, you know, if this were to happen to somebody now, 20 years from now, there might be a high school named after him or a middle school. You know, mm -hmm. now all of our middle schools are named after Texas heroes, and that's fine. Yeah. But but there are ways that communities honor their more recent heroes mm -hmm. that really has not taken place here in his memory. There is a, a Netflix show. It may not still be because they come and go, but uh, it was called Mel of Honor. And the first half of the show would show would reenact what happened, what they what the hero did. The second half of the show would go back to their hometown, and it would show how their hometown honors them. There's there's like a day dedicated to yeah. this person. There's a parade downtown dedicated to this person. There's schools. There's buildings. There's all kinds of stuff named after these people. We've got a brand new high school, West Plains. Right, my daughter's a freshman there. I love this high school. It is absolutely amazing. CISD could not have done a better job putting that school together. But when they were asking for names, I submitted Thomas E. Creek, and, and here's why. And the message I got back was, we don't name schools after people. We name them after areas. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Gene Howe is, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, am I wrong here? Yeah. And I love Alice Landergan. And I'm not crazy about West Plains names. Kind of, it's kind of plain. You know, uh, but what if it was like, you know, Thomas E. Creek, the Creek Warriors, the Creek Wolves or whatever. I mean, to me, that sounds a hell of a lot cooler. But what did I know? <laughs> I appreciate you bringing up that story. Um, I agree with you. I, I think there is there are better ways and obvious ways that he has not been honored yet. And yeah. that's that's an important story. So I appreciate that. It's always I, and I, I hate. I hope that didn't bring your podcast down no, no, a little I, bit because that is always just. I mean, I have been on this for um, a good fifteen years or so. How can we? How can we do better? And there's a Facebook group that we started called "I've Got It Mac Thomas E Creek," and it's for friends of Thomas Creek. Basically, how can we better honor him, and and how can we uh, come up with ways that maybe we can uh, promote his deeds? All right, Jeff Williams, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. 
And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Jeff for the interview. You can find out more about him at jeffwilliamsvoice.com and about Creekstone at amarillochiropractor.com. Thanks also to Angelina Marie for editing this episode and to sponsors Lazy Boy of Amarillo, SKP Creative, Leslie Massey Farmers Insurance, and of course, Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting the show. You know what? It's been a really good year. Hey Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you, and you've been listening all year long, and I really appreciate it. It also is supported by the local people who give financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Corey Burns, Jess Heredia, Wilson Lemieux, Josh Wood, Wes Reeves, Patrick Burns, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 280. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.